Hello, friends. Welcome to the Now is the Time podcast. This is your host, Caleb Suko, coming to you from a kind of dark and rainy Gig Harbor, Washington. But Christmas is coming in just in just one week from today. I can't believe it. So Christine and I are looking forward to that, though, because we actually get two Sundays off since Christmas is on Christmas. Sorry, Christmas. Since Sunday is on New Year's Eve. Oh, man, I'm getting so confused here. Since Sunday is on Christmas Eve and then the Sunday after that is on New Year's Eve, we get those two Sundays off. And and I'm looking forward to that because we really want to spend some time with our home church here, Discovery. In fact, those will be the last two Sundays that we have with our home church before we go back to Ukraine. So we're... Some people don't realize this, but when we are in the States, we don't actually get that many Sundays with our home church. So we really cherish those and value that time. But we had a great Sunday this past Sunday out in Quincy, Washington, east of the mountains. And thankfully, the weather cooperated. We had a little bit of snow out there on Sunday morning, but it was it was okay. And we were able to get back and forth and without any problems on the roads. But that was a great time because the pastor there, Pastor Don Vallon, was youth pastor in our church discovery over 20 years ago when I was a youth there and have great memories of Don and Katie Vallon and their family at Discovery in the early 90s, I guess, maybe 89 to early 90s. So it was great to connect with them again. And I finished up my sermon series on the five solas, so you've been following that. I'm going to play for you in this episode the final sermon, Soli Dio Gloria, which I think is very appropriate for the Christmas season because it, it, one of the main texts that talk about giving God glory is Luke chapter 2, where the angels say, glory to God in the highest. And so I talk about that in the sermon, so very appropriate for Christmas time. But I hope you will enjoy that. Also, you can find the video for the sermon on our website, sukofamily.org, as well as the other sermons in this, in this series on the solos of the Reformation. So I want to also just turn your attention to this project that we are working on for raising some support for, and that is the outreach to Ukrainian soldiers. Uh, Our team in Ukraine is going to be doing a special outreach around Christmas time. Now, Christmas time in Ukraine is January 7th, and so uh, it's going to be just after the new year. I think January 5th, 6th, and 7th. They're going to be visiting a number of different locations where Ukrainian soldiers are stationed, and the goal is really to bring them the gospel. And so they're going to be giving them all little gifts. And part of that gift will include a small MP3 player that includes some of the Bible on it, as well as some good expository sermons. And and then they're also going to be putting on a Christmas service for the soldiers. So this is a, a really wonderful chance to be able to get good gospel communication, good gospel content to these Ukrainian soldiers. And the goal is to reach about a thousand soldiers with the message of the gospel. And so 
anyway, if, if you would like to donate to that project, go to our website. There's a link in the show notes for this episode. So anyway, I will leave you at that and appreciate your prayers for that outreach and your support if you can support it. All right, let's go ahead now and listen to the sermon audio for this last sermon in the Solas of the Reformation sermon series, Sola, Soli Dio Gloria. Now, this morning, I want to share with you along those same lines, really. This is the, the fifth in a series of sermons I've been preaching on the Reformation and the five solas of the Reformation. And you may have heard that this year is the 500th anniversary of the year when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg. Now, out of the Reformation, there was a, a big change in uh, theology as really these reformers like Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and others really went back into God's Word. They went back to God's Word to, to find in it really what the things that have always been in it but were lost in the Catholic Church over the centuries. And so what we find is as scholars study the writings of the Reformation that there's really five very strong truths that come out of that time. And the first is sola scriptura, which means by Scripture alone. There was, like I said, a, a very strong return to God's Word as the, the sole authority in the church, that it is God's Word that is only God's revelation to us and that only has that authority to instruct us in practice and theology. And then you had sola fide, and these are really related to the gospel, our understanding of the gospel. Sola fide means by faith alone, that from man's perspective, when we put our faith in Christ's work and in the word of God, that is where salvation is found, by faith alone, in contrast to anything else. And then sola gratia, which means by grace alone, from God's perspective, he gives us grace he gives us salvation not based upon our works or any good thing that we have done, not based upon anything anyone else has done, but only by His grace. And the fourth is solus Christus, that we are saved only by Christ and His works. And the last one that I want to talk to you about today is soli dio gloria, for God's grace alone, or God's glory alone, excuse me, for God's glory alone. And so I thought that this would be uh, particularly relevant uh, during this Christmas season because, and I, I heard that Pastor Don was preaching this last Sunday on Luke chapter 2, right? Where we have the angels talking about Gloria, or maybe you think when you hear this Sola Dia Gloria. By the way, this is Latin, and, and so it's just uh, usually referred to in, in that way with the Latin. Uh, Sola Dia Gloria, maybe you think of the song Angels We Have Heard on High, right? Where it has that phrase in, in Latin, Gloria in Excelsis Deo, which means glory to God in the highest. Where does that come from? What scripture? This isn't hard. What was the sermon on last Sunday? 
Luke chapter 2, right. It comes from Luke chapter 2. This is what the angels say. And, you know, I think that, that when we think about glory, that it can be one of those church words or maybe one of those overused words that are not really understood but used a lot and sound good. Oh, glory to God. Oh, glory. You know, people might just put that out there. Or maybe when people hear it, they think of some nice Christmas song and the the warm and and good feeling. And maybe the the idea of of Gloria in Excelsis Deo goes right along with hot chocolate and Christmas lights and those kinds of things, which, which are all fine and nice, but really they don't communicate with it the, the deep theological truths of this concept. And I think that what we need to recognize as we look at something like Sola Dio Gloria is that these were truths that, that when you think of the Reformers, they were willing to die for. So it was far more than just a nice Christmas song and a good carol to sing, but this was something that the, some of the Reformers lost their lives for because they said that they believed that all glory should go to God and God only for our salvation. So, as we look at Sola Dio Gloria, it is really, I would call it the culmination of the other four solas. And especially in reference to salvation. Uh, let me just say a couple more things, then we'll look at, at Luke chapter 2 here. So as we look at Sola Dio Gloria as the culmination of the other four solas, what we find is that Sola Dia Gloria comes in conflict with the Catholic with Catholic theology. It, it really butts head with Catholic theology because if we look at it, what is Sola Dia Gloria saying? If we are saved by faith alone, by grace alone, and by Christ alone, then who gets the glory for our salvation? Who? God. And God alone, right? <clears throat> but, if on the other hand, as the Catholic Church teaches, you are saved by grace, with the help of your good works, through the sacraments, and also through the forgiveness that the priest may offer you, and through the, the clergy of the church, then who gets the glory for, and, I should add, with the help of the saints? Mary, and maybe other saints, right? Then who gets the glory for your salvation? Yeah, the church, or, or, or dead saints, or, or yourself, your good works. or And, and, and so, do you see the, the theological ramifications of sola dia gloria? We're talking really about primary foundational aspects of how we understand the gospel. And so we understand that this is saying, wait a minute, if, if God is the one that completely does our salvation from beginning to end without any help on my part, I believe, but this is not any kind of good works or any kind of thing on my part, I'm not working my salvation through that belief, then, then I have to give all glory to Him because I didn't have any part in it. Your pastor was used by God, but he doesn't have really any part in making, in, in giving you your salvation, does he? Other people may be used of God, but they didn't give you your salvation. And so we give glory only to God. 
And that stands in direct opposition to the Catholic Church, which tells us that we need to venerate the saints. And are you familiar with the difference? They, they say, well, we're not worshiping the saints. We're venerating the saints. Well, what's the difference between worship and venerate? I like uh, uh, Calvin. I was reading him just recently. and I don't think I put the quote in here. But Calvin says, John Calvin says, you know, it's like they just invented this new word so that they could say that they're not worshiping. But what happened? When, when you look at it, when you see someone who, who is, is kneeling down before an object, who is kissing that object and who is praying to that, that saint or whatever it may be, and who is lighting a candle to it, and who is putting their hope in it that they might help them in some way, I call that worship. And it's not really any different than worship, is it? And it is giving glory to those things. So, Sola Dia Glorious focuses us on the worship of God. Let's look at this uh, scripture in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. And I really want to focus on two verses here, but I'll read the whole passage for the context. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So this is the passage that we get angels we have heard on high from, that, that song. And when they say, Glory, when they say um, Gloria in excelsis Dio, that is verse 14, glory to God in the highest. But we see in this passage two verses that talk about the glory of God. Verse 9 says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And verse 14, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And I want to make a couple of comments about this just to understand sola dia gloria, first of all, we have to understand what is glory altogether? What is it? What is this idea of glory? And I think that this passage is somewhat instructive in helping us to understand what glory is. And so, first of all, in verse 9 here, we see that the glory of the Lord shone around them. And this to me is, it really it sort of, in a way, blows my mind because God is spirit, Right? And if God is spirit, spirit is not visible. So what is this, this glory? And there are two words, in one in Greek and one in Hebrew, that, that, that are translated glory in our Bibles. And the one here in Greek is doxa, which has really part of the, the literal meaning of that word is something that is shining or flaming. 
And what we see is that often in the New Testament as well as in the Old Testament where we see God's glory, we see something that is flaming, something that is shining, something that is bright. So even though God is spirit, there is some sort of a manifestation that is visible to people in this glory. It's not God's essence himself, but it's sort of sort of something that is emanating from him. And we see, it says here, this is the glory of the Lord shone around them. There was some sort of light, some sort of brightness that, that filled, um, filled the field, I guess, where these shepherds were. So if we think about this in the Old Testament, let's look back at the Old Testament now, because really this passage in Luke, we have to understand in the context of the Old Testament. These were Old Testament believers. And so when they saw this light, when they heard the words glory, they were thinking about things from the Old Testament. And where do we see God's glory in the Old Testament? Exodus chapter 16, verse 10. Exodus 16, verse 10. Remember, uh, the children of Israel had come out of Egypt. God had saved them. He had saved them specifically so that they would worship Him, so they would honor Him and glorify Him. That was part of His purpose. Exodus 16, verse 10 says, And it came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Do you remember that? When the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness... For 40 years, God directed them with what? His glory. God directed them with His glory. This is a very similar situation like we have with the shepherds. Here they are, they're in a field. And all of a sudden, this bright light. Remember, it was a cloud by day and a what? What was it by night? A column of fire by night. It was a manifestation of God's glory. And I find it so interesting that here we see this manifestation of God's glory and it was central and vital for the people of Israel. God was leading them every step of the way by His glory. And I think it's instructive to us as we think about it, how much are we led today by God's glory? What is it that influences our decision-making process? Because here, I think it is quite clear to see that God said, listen, here I am, right here. And remember that when they stopped to camp, that cloud or that column of fire by night, it it stopped over the tabernacle. And their their whole camp was, was centered on that one point. And I think it's clear that God is saying, listen, my glory is, is a big thing. You need to carefully keep it in front of you. You need to let it lead you because that's what this is all about. I brought you out to worship me, to honor me, to glorify me, and I will lead you by that glory. And that's exactly what God was doing with the Israelites in Exodus here with his, the column of, of the cloud and the column of fire by night. But then we see another very interesting passage in Exodus chapter 33, a little bit later on, Exodus 33 verses 18 through 23, because here we see, and maybe you remember this, but remember uh, Moses went up on Mount Sinai twice to get the Ten Commandments, because first time what happened? He came down, he broke them, right? 
And the, if you remember even the first time when Moses went up, when the children of Israel, of Israel saw what God was doing, he was coming down. This is Exodus chapter 19. He was coming down onto Mount Sinai with billowing clouds and smoke and fire and earthquakes and lightning. And they said, ah, oh, we don't want to go up there. Why don't you go, Moses? And he went up there, right, by, uh, by himself. Well, anyway, this is the second time that Moses goes up on the mountain. And look what Moses says in Exodus 33, verse 18. He says, says, Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. That is Yahweh or Jehovah, literally, okay? Lord, all caps, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand in the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now, first of all, um, God is spirit. God does not really have hand, face, back and those things. God is using euphemisms here to describe things. He's saying, listen, Moses, I, I want to show you my glory, but it, it is so overwhelming that you cannot take it all in. I can't look to you face to face. Have you ever had a problem with someone? Maybe you offended someone or did something bad to someone or uh, maybe as a child you, you did something you knew you shouldn't have done and then you're confronted about it and you're like, you don't want to look at someone in the face because you know you're guilty. It's hard to look them in the face. There's something straight on about that. You think, oh man, that's just too much. Now multiply that a million billion times, right? And you have, what, what is it like to look at God in the face? Straight on, without any barrier, without anything that, is, that, that, that slows anything down or, or, or keeps you from seeing all of who He is. But this is also very instructive about God's glory here. Notice verse 19 where God says, and Moses says first, show me your glory. And God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Very, very significant. And I think this tells us a lot about what God's glory really is. Remember how significant God's name is. Now, I don't have time right now, but if we go back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, that is where Moses is at the burning bush. Again, something burning, something bright, right? And he sees God's glory, and God says, and Moses says, what is your name? What does God say? I am. I am. He gives him this name, Yahweh. Yahweh. And most English translations have that in all caps, L-O-R-D. That's because of the Ten Commandments. The third commandment is, do not take the Lord your God's name in vain, right? So the, the, the Jewish people, when they came to the name Yahweh, they actually would never pronounce it. In fact, even Yahweh is sort of a guess because we don't actually know exactly what vowels go in because they only use consonants. We don't actually know what vowels go in there, but it's, it's a pretty good guess. But so, so they would not say Yahweh, and instead, they, every time they came to the name Yahweh, they would say Adonai, which means Lord. 
And so that's why in, when we translated the Bible into English, they would just translate Lord, but put it in all caps so that you know that this is really Yahweh that we're talking about. But Yahweh is a significant name because Yahweh means I am, or He is, really, literally, He is. God said to, said to Moses, tell them, I am sends you. And Moses went to the Israelites and said, guess what? He is sent me to you. And it tells us about God's ontological nature, His essence. He does not have a beginning. He exists and He does not have an ending. He is uncreated. And that is the deepest theological truth about who God is. So, what we see is that as God's glory passed by, God says, you will see my goodness. He's talking about his character, the way he is. He is good and righteous and holy. And Moses would see that in God's glory as he passed by. And I will proclaim my name, how I exist. I am uncreated. And because I am uncreated, I do not depend upon anything or anyone else. I am outside of time. I am the source of all that exists. And so God is showing Moses who he really is. And so I think that, that we can safely say really that glory here is, is this manifestation of who God is. Let me read for you a definition from John Piper. He says this, In speaking of God's glory, the Bible assumes that this infinite value has entered creation. It has, as it were, shined. God's glory is the radiance of His holiness, the outstreaming of His infinite value. And when it streams out, it is seen as beautiful and great. It has both infinite quality and magnitude. So we may define God's glory as the beauty and greatness of His manifold perfections. That's what was shining down upon the shepherds, God's glory, his goodness, his holiness, his perfections, his eternality, some sort of a visual manifestation of those things. So, so God's glory, it shines. We see it shining in the Old Testament. We see it shining in the New Testament. But an, another aspect here in Luke 2 that I think is, is very interesting, it says that the shepherds, how do they react? How? They were afraid. And, and that's significant to notice. God's glory Fear. We see it all throughout Scripture. God's glory, fear. God's glory, fear. We see it all through. In fact, even if we look again, we'll just go back to Exodus here because it tells us so much about God's glory. Exodus chapter 34, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai. Do you remember what happened? Exodus 34, starting in verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, when he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone. Remember the shining again, right? The skin of his face shone because he was talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses. Behold, the skin of his face shone. They were afraid to come near him. We see a very similar thing, don't we? Where does that fear come from? Why do we have fear when we see God's glory? I think it's, it's maybe more than fear. It's the sense of guilt, isn't it? 
that when we see something that is so much better than us, we may walk around and feel pretty normal amongst each other. We may even feel kind of good when we compare ourselves with each other, right? You know, we're always, we can always find somebody worse, right? And so we may feel good, but when we compare ourselves with God, we realize there's some mistakes there. There's some things I haven't done right. I don't meet that standard. And there's this fear. This fear that comes because there's a fear of, well, if I didn't do it all right, there, there could be some punishment for this. And how amazing is it that here we even see fear just in seeing Moses' face. They didn't, they didn't go up on the mountain. They didn't see what, what Moses saw. But we see fear here. And so we see fear in the shepherds as well. Uh, another um, very significant scripture on God's glory is Isaiah chapter 6. Let's turn there for a minute. Isaiah chapter 6 is Isaiah's vision of God sitting in the temple on his throne, similar to the angels around him. And in verse 3 it says, they cried out, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, talking about his character. The whole earth is full of his glory. Some sort of visual manifestation of who He is. When we look at earth, when we look at creation, we can glorify God because it tells us something about God. It tells us that He is great and powerful beyond our wildest imaginations, right? When we look at the mountains and the lakes and, and the valleys and the trees and the birds, it tells us that, that God has order about Him. It tells us that God has beauty about Him. Because we're looking at the creation of an artist. And so these angels say the whole earth is full of his glory. And what? how does Isaiah respond? Verse 5, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord, Jehovah of hosts, or Yahweh. Isaiah has a similar reaction, doesn't he? Seeing God's glory. And by the way, what's interesting is if you look at the Old Testament, you find that of, of, with the exception of the Psalms, now the Psalms is a book of worship. Songs, the Psalms are all about glorifying God. So we find the word glory more often in the book of Psalms than any other book in the Old Testament. But of the prophets and of, of the literary books in the Old Testament, we find no one talking about God's glory more than Isaiah. And it's interesting because Isaiah, now Isaiah and Ezekiel were contemporaries, and we see that in Ezekiel, a very significant thing happened. Ezekiel chapter 10, we won't go there right now, but in Ezekiel ch chapter 10, what happens? The glory of God leaves the temple. This was the same time period as Isaiah. And so Isaiah is talking and talking and talking about God's glory. And, and it, the problem was in Israel that they had forgotten about God's glory. And I would say that that's the problem of all people everywhere. Some people just never knew about God's glory. But as, as we finish here, let, let, let's jump ahead, though, to the book of Romans. Because this really tells us the situation of mankind and God's glory. 
Romans chapter 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them through the creation, His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, divine nature, are clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give Him thanks, but they were futile. But they became futile in their thinking and foolish hearts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged, now this is important here, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. Now, it's, it's really sad to say this, but this is actually what the Catholic Church has done. Exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And of course, the key verse in Romans is Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen what? Short of the glory of God. What does that mean? We've fallen short of God's perfections, of His goodness, of His righteousness, of His holiness, of His perfect standards for us. We have fallen short of those things. And because we have fallen short of those things, we do not have the ability to correctly give God glory, even if we may try to give God's glory. And that brings me back to Luke chapter 2. And Verse 14, notice what these angels say. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. This is a very important order that these angels put these things in. First, glory to God. Secondly, peace to man, and not the other way around. You see, it's, 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 not, it's not like, okay, we, we can start just trying all on our own to, to give God glory. God gives glory first to Himself through Jesus Christ. He is primary in the glory order, you could say. God is primary. And when God becomes primary in the glory order, guess what? Man gets peace. And that's really the salvation process. When a person goes from unbelief, unbelief in Christ, and thinking that they can make it on their own or that there's some other way to salvation, God does not get the glory. But as soon as they make that switch and say, wait a minute, I can't do this on my own. I can only do it through Jesus Christ, who has done it all for me. And they turn and in repentance, put their faith in Christ. What are they doing? They're saying, God, you're the only one that can get glory for this. And when we turn and we give glory to God for our salvation, we get peace. We get peace with God. We get forgiveness of sins. And so that's a very important order that the angels give us here. We must give glory to God, and in return we get peace. So God's glory isn't something that's just a, you know, kind of a nice, nice song to sing or Christmas feeling to have. God's glory really is, is theologically rich. And this idea of solo deo gloria it is, is, is in reference to our salvation, so vital for us to understand that God saved us 
Yes, because he loved us. Yes, so that we go to heaven. But he saved us primarily for his glory. But we must give him that glory. And we only give him that glory when we understand that we are saved by faith alone, by grace alone, and in Christ alone. There's nothing else that we can add to that. It is God and God only. And because it is God only, he alone gets the glory. Let's pray.